It is great to see all of you here this morning on this uh, chilly Sunday morning, first Sunday in January, and let me add my words to others. Happy New Year. It's, isn't it awesome just to be able to flip the calendar and start afresh, and uh, my sense is this is a fresh uh, beginning for us this year, and one of the things that we do at Christ Community every year and have been doing it since the very beginning, is that we start our year in prayer. And uh, so I know Derek's already mentioned this to you. He's given you the details. But I just want to say, if you are new to Christ's community, or if, uh, or if you've been around for a long time but have just never participated in prayer week, uh, it's one of the most important and consistently we hear testimonies of the most powerful life transformations coming out of these weeks of prayer. We typically do three of them a year. The first one is meant to ground us in where God is moving right now and where he's trying to take us for the future. It'll, uh, it'll be a time of worship. It'll be a time of prayer. It'll be a time of uh, just coming together to try to discern what God is saying to us as his people here at Christ Community. So I do want to encourage you to come every night, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Now, yes, we will be meeting tomorrow night. Um, if anybody doesn't know why I just said that, then it doesn't matter to you, right? Um, but we, uh, we do not cancel prayer for football games. Uh, I love my dogs, but I will be here praying. I hope you'll be here with me. Uh, we will join in prayer tomorrow, not tonight. Tomorrow night, Tuesday, and Wednesday night for prayer. Um, it's going to be a powerful time. Let me say that there will be a special emphasis uh, in this prayer week on children. Um, we will have, um, children will have their own prayer session. Now, the littlest ones will be taken care of just in child care. But kids that are up through uh, age four, five, it's kind of your call, um, will have their own prayer time in their area. Uh, they will be with us probably for part of the, for the worship. They're going to come back at the end and share in our time of processing. But they will have a time where they are actively engaged in praying with us. Um, this is powerful to me because I've become convinced over many years that in some ways children have a more pure and direct connection to God than we do. Uh, we, we as adults have our baggage and we have our questions and our doubts. Kids just... That's why Jesus said, come to me like a little child. Kids just come to him, and they expect God to show up, and they expect God uh, to, to meet them there. And so there will be a special time for kids. So uh, don't think that you need to find babysitters. Bring your children, and there will be a great time for them as well. Um, today, I want to do something that I typically do every year, and that's share something of a state-of-the-church report as well as sharing with you what I believe is God's vision for 2018. Let me start with some things that I just want to give you updates on, some things I want you to be aware of. Um, the first thing is I need to speak to you about our financial status. Uh, back in December, you, um, we came to you, we brought a budget for 2018. We shared with you at the time where we were financially, and uh, we asked you to pray about that because at the time... Coming into December, we were $160,000 in the deficit on operating funds. And uh, I get to celebrate today the fact that we had the largest giving month we've ever had in our history. And we actually ended with a surplus. And uh, so praise God. <laughs> praise God for His provision 
and for your faithfulness. Um, you know, for us, uh, giving is, uh, money is not something we talk about a lot. We talk about generosity. We talk about stewardship of our life. Um, we have always operated on the belief that if we would simply uh, proclaim God's word and, and live obediently to God's word, that God would provide our needs, and he has done that yet again. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, I also want to give you a status update on our student center. We hadn't talked about that in a little while. Uh, this is, uh, this is the, the, the picture of what we anticipate it will look like. There's uh, also one out in the Welcome Center. You can get up close and see it there. Um, go to the next slide. This is, uh, this is the floor plan as it currently exists. Um, what it will have is an auditorium that will hold 275 to 300 um, which is a, a significant need for our church. Our, our, we have this room that holds 700, and the next room it's like 100 to 125. We don't have anything in the middle, and this will help us in a lot of ways to meet that need. It also will provide some additional classroom space that our students will use during the week. We will use on Sunday morning as needed. We want to continue to build some Sunday morning gatherings for people that are coming in that are looking for a place to connect, um, and this will give us that opportunity to do that. Um, These will give us about five rooms with a capacity of 45 to 50 in each one of those. Uh, So this is the what. Um, The why is, uh, I've touched on it a bit, the why is that we are challenged uh, in terms of our facilities. When we built this building, uh, initially our desire was to build something separate and distinct for our students, and we just, we couldn't do it from a financial standpoint. We're essentially coming back and saying we need to fill that gap. Um, But it's not, it, it it will be first and foremost for our students which, let me just say, by the way, is a booming ministry. Uh, over the holidays, on, uh, right before Christmas Eve, the youth went out caroling. They ended up at our house, and uh, we were prepared for uh, them to come and have hot chocolate and that, so that kind of thing. We didn't prepare for 72. Uh, there were 72 kids caroling, and uh, this is just a glimpse. And let me just say that it's not just the numbers uh, our, our numbers in our student ministry have just taken off and, and are really doing extremely well. But more importantly than that is the life change that we see happening in our students. I want you to know that we do not have a philosophy with students, children, uh, that we're just kind of uh, entertaining them or managing them. We believe that our students can have an authentic walk with God, that they, they serve the same God that we do, they can know the same God that we do, and they're called to the same life that we're called to. And we are seeing that take root in the lives and the hearts of our students. And I just want to celebrate what God is doing there. This facility will significantly help them to expand and continue their ministry. But as is true with everything at Christ Community, uh, we believe that we have to be great stewards of buildings. We would never build a building simply to be used one day a week. Uh, Our building is used every day from early in the morning until late at night, almost every single day of the year. And much of it is used throughout the week. And often we have things that are conflicting because we, we are filling the entire building. So this will help the entire church, but it will especially help our students. Now, where do we stand on this project? Um, go to the next slide. We, we have estimated 
uh, that it's going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.2 million. In the fall, we did an initial campaign, and that campaign, you pledged uh, $775,500 toward this building to be given over a three-year period. We have approximately 300000 in savings that we can give toward it as well. That leaves us currently about 125000 short. Now, here, here's what we're going to be doing. What we'll be doing in the weeks, the immediate weeks ahead, is trying to come to a hard number. That 1.2 is an estimate. We need to get a solid, hard number of what it's going to cost. Then we'll know if we're already there or if we have a, a gap of 125000 or whatever it is. And uh, so we need to find out what that is. As soon as we know that, if there is no gap, then we will be coming to you to present a plan to move forward and ask for your approval to do so. You must approve that before we can go forward. If there is still a gap, and the gap uh, is something that will have to be addressed, uh, we will come to you as well with a proposal to do one of three things. To either uh, ask us to prayerfully come before the Lord and say, Lord, is there more that you can provide? Um, Or we will work on value engineering it to try to get the cost down or some combination of the two. Or we will come to you with a proposal to wait. Now, the reason I say that is because we are firmly committed to not have long-term debt on this building. We're okay with borrowing money in order to get the building started, but money that has been pledged by you or is in savings, we want in the end of this three-year period, after all the pledges are in, we want to be completely debt-free and having done this project without long-term debt. So we will not be coming to you with a proposal that says, we have this much in pledges, this much in savings, it's going to cost this much more than that, but we think we should move forward anyway. Uh, We will come to you with a plan to seek the Lord and ask for his guidance in it. Um, I want to ask you to continue to pray for that. Let me address a few things quickly related to the Student Center. There have been some questions that, you know, why... Some people have felt like what we did in the fall was kind of rushed. And and let me just say that it was. There was a sense in which it was rushed a bit, and I'll take full responsibility for that. Because part of what was happening here is my own personal sense that this this is a pretty significant hole in our church. And I truly want to get that hole filled before I'm gone. I do not want this to continue to be an issue after we move on. So I felt very strongly that we needed to press into it in the fall. Um, So, you know, that's one of the reasons. Let me say as well that um, when we look at this student center and what it's all about, um, the whole issue of why would we be doing something like this when we are in the process of going through a transition at the senior pastor level? And the answer is because we want to get it done before they step into this role. We don't, we don't want a new pastor to have to carry this project or, or initiate this project. We wanted to get it done and to get it fully funded uh, before I am, am gone. Uh, so we have committed to doing this. But I will tell you, we've had to pull back a bit because we don't want to move so fast that we move unwisely. So we're moving very carefully now, but we will be coming to you with a plan uh, in the near future. I also need to share with you this morning um, 
the difficult news that Ann Pelchar will no longer be leading our children's ministry. Now, I say it's difficult because we love Ann very much. Uh, Ann has been a great member of our team. Um, Anne has not done anything wrong. I want to put to rest any speculation about why. This has nothing to do with Anne's character and integrity. Uh, it's difficult simply because we have felt for some time now that our children's ministry simply isn't where it needs to be. Uh, we have been investing a significant amount of energy in trying to come alongside Anne to help get it where it needs to be. But in the end, um, we, came, we came to the, the conclusion that our need and Anne's gifts are simply not a good fit. Again, this has nothing to do with her character and integrity. It's just a, it's a lack of fit. Uh, the bottom line is our, our children's ministry is not what it needs to be. And let me just say it, let me say it very simply. Uh, I know that having another transition in the midst of a transition is not ideal. But the only thing worse than that is to not have a dynamic and thriving children's ministry. Um, I, I am very familiar with reports. Maybe some of you have heard these. Uh, the, the results of studies that have been done that say that 85% of Christians are saved before the age of 15. If that's true or anywhere near the truth, then what that says is that children's ministry is arguably the most important ministry of our church. And we are absolutely firmly committed to making it everything it can be to be sure that we are investing in our children in ways that will lead them into a relationship with Christ and ground them solidly as disciples of Jesus Christ. So um, I want to encourage you to pray for Anne. I want to encourage you to pray for us. Uh, I'll also share with you in terms of going forward that we are, are, we're not going to put ourselves in a very narrow time frame and feel that we must find our replacement immediately. We want to find the right person. So we have members of our current team, currently led particularly by Kelly Womack, uh, who is our uh, pastor of leadership development. Kelly will be leading other members of our staff and leaders within Kingdom Kids uh, to move forward. In fact, Kelly met yesterday with a little more than 20 of our current leaders. Uh, the meeting went extremely well. There's a great deal of encouragement and, and, and excitement, really, about the future of children's ministry. We are firmly committed to seeing this ministry thrive. Uh, we will need many of you. In fact, one of the things I want to say is that our aim is that when we do find the right leader for this role, they will step into a very strong existing ministry. They won't have to come in and build it from scratch. That we will see this ministry significantly thriving uh, by the time we find that person and bring them in. So uh, I do want to ask you, please pray for Ann. We love Ann. Uh, we, are, we are still working with Anne and want to see her land on her feet. We want to see her thriving. Uh, pray for us as we search for her replacement um, in the coming days, oh, coming months, actually. And then let me speak to our transition. Um, uh, last year on this Sunday, I stood here and announced to you that Pam and I uh, felt strongly that the Lord was saying to us that our time was nearing an end. We planted Christ's community um, with three couples 20 years ago. 
And um, after 20 years, we really began to sense that the Lord was saying, it's time for you to get ready to transition. We felt that we needed a lengthy transition period to be sure that we find someone who fully understands and is fully devoted to our mission, our values, our ethos as a church, um, and is ready to lead you, uh, someone who has your trust and is ready to lead you. So we wanted to make this a, we wanted to give ourselves plenty of time to find that person before it was time for us to transition out. Um, I want to say to you this morning that I have tremendous hope and confidence in the future of Christ Community Church. Um, From the very beginning, when we were in our living room with just a few couples, we were absolutely determined that uh, we had this conviction that the only man that uh, that a church should be founded on is Jesus Christ. There is no other. There's only one foundation, and it's Jesus Christ. Anything that is built on the personality of a person, uh, it, it, it may be a good thing. It may, be, it may do good things, but it's not a church. Because the church of the Bible is a church in which Jesus Christ is the head. And that's not just a figurehead. It's not just a title. Jesus wants to lead his church. Now, I don't underestimate. I'm not, I'm not underestimating the importance of the role of lead pastor, my own role or my successor. But I do want to say that our role is to lead you into a place of, of learning how to follow his lead personally in our homes, our families, and as a church. We have a tremendous team in this, leading this church. Uh, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the team that we have. And it's because of that team that I am confident that the future of Christ community is very, very bright. Um, you know, I want, us to, I want to share with you kind of what's been done so far. Because I really want you to be in prayer about the continued process here. Uh, first of all, it, it's important for some of you to know uh, how our church operates when it comes to things like this. Some of you come out of traditions where the way you select your pastor... If someone comes and they meet with a team of people, and if that team thinks they're good, uh, they bring a message, you hear them preach, and then the congregation votes on whether or not to call them to become your pastor. That's not the way our denomination works. Our denomination works uh, in a way that uh, the elders of our church, elders of our denomination, appoint pastors to churches. Uh, the, the leaders of our denomination see the needs of a church, try to find the best person to lead that church, and appoint that person to lead. However, they also believe that if a church is healthy and a church is strong, that that church will have a very strong understanding of what they need in a pastor. And so there is a great deal of collaboration from our leadership with the local church. And I'll just share with you what was said to us. What was said to us is that Christ Community Church is one of the healthiest churches we know. And so we trust your leadership. We trust your team, your leadership team, our board, our elders, to work this process, keep them in the loop. And uh, we are confident that we will uh, land on the same page at the end of the day. 
Uh, let me also share with you that while we began with the possibility that it might be best to bring somebody in from the outside, to do that pretty quickly, allow them plenty of time to get to know you and you to know them, uh, over the beginning months of this uh, transition process, we determined uh, that we do believe there are persons internally who are equipped and ready to lead this church. So we began to put our focus on people that are already here, people that are already a part of our team. Um, we have begun to, to examine those candidates. So let me just kind of address something of an elephant in the room. Uh, many of you may be curious, well, who are these candidates? Uh, who are you looking at? Who are you talking to? Which of the team is, is, are, is likely going to land in this room? Can I just tell you why we've not shared that information? We haven't told you who the primary candidates are because we didn't want to turn this into a horse race where at the end we had a loser and a winner. Uh, we believe that our team is so strong and that our team is so committed not to uh, titles and positions but to be used by God to lead our church, that they were committed to this church regardless of where it landed. And so our leadership has been looking very carefully at those that we believe are candidates with the aim of determining which one will lead in that lead role. But I want to assure you that the candidates we're talking to are equally committed to Christ's community and to being a part of this team, whether they end up in that role or not. They are for each other completely, fully. Um, we, we didn't want you to begin to sit there on a Sunday and when one of our team members comes and gives a message, say, oh gosh, he's, that was an awesome message. He must be in the lead now. And somebody else comes along and, and maybe doesn't hit a home run on Sunday and you start to think, yeah, it can't be the right person. What we want to ask you to do and what we have asked you to do from the beginning is simply this. Pray that the Lord of his church would lead us in this process. Pray for our leaders, pray for our board, uh, pray for our elders as we discern the Lord's will for our next lead pastor. And I am confident that the Lord is going to lead us uh, to a great place in that regard. I also want to share with you that we are increasingly confident that we will be able to make this announcement in March of this year. Um, we believe that it would be better for you and for my successor to know that as early as we, as we wisely can. Uh, that way that we're not spending a whole m another year wondering who is it going to be. But knowing who it's going to be and pouring our energy, pouring my energy into preparing that person, uh, helping that person get ready, you pouring energy into loving and supporting that person. So when the transition comes, it will be relatively seamless. Uh, so we do believe that we're going to be able to make that announcement within a couple of months, uh, by mid-March. Mid um, uh, some of you have asked about our future. And um, I, I need to tell you that our future is not certain yet. Um, when we began to pray about this transition, we felt strongly that, that what we needed to do is say, Lord, is this the time for transition? And if it is, then we're going to have to trust you for what's next. Now, I do want to assure you, uh, we are not retiring. Um, I've had a number of people come to me and say, gosh, I, I wish I could retire young. 
Um, I'm like, no, we're, we're not retiring. Uh, this is not retirement. I, I, here's, what I, here's what I can tell you for certain. What I can tell you for certain is that we believe that this transition is about the Lord calling us to pour whatever energy and time we have left into uh, coming alongside, coaching, encouraging pastors and churches to be healthy and fruitful for the kingdom of God. We want to pour ourselves into helping other churches and other pastors be faithful and fruitful. We don't know yet for sure what that's going to look like, um, but we, God is at work there. Uh, we believe we'll be able to tell you something by mid-April, um, but we won't know for certain what our future is until after we make a decision here. So I, I do ask for your prayers. Um, ask that God would, would lead us as well in that process. Um, now, all of that to say that these are things that have very much been stirring in my heart over the last several months. And what I began to sense in the fall is that the Lord was stirring this one particular word, and it was the word harvest. Now, every year for 20 years, I have gone into the fall praying, Lord, where are you trying to lead us? Where is it that we need to be focused? What is it that you've got your, your finger on that we need to be aware that this is where you are working? I believe that's one of the most important things that a lead pastor does is simply listens carefully to the Lord to say, Lord, where are you moving? And how can we walk with you there? And as I did that this last fall, the word harvest began to emerge um, and then it began to be confirmed. Well, let me just say this first of all. Not just the word harvest, but also a specific scripture in which that word is found. And it's Matthew 9. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage yet, but 37 and 38 say, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, that word and that image of harvest began to be confirmed in a number of ways over the course of the fall. First of all, as we continued to meet, you know, last year, uh, the theme was awakening, and we had several calls to awakening, and we had significant amounts of prayer taking place. There were many people who continued to pray every morning at 6.30, and that's a word that continued to come up as we prayed together. Uh, without me leading that, without me sharing where I sense the Lord may be taking us, I just began to hear this word over and over again in our times of prayer. Uh, and then Pam and I were invited to attend a conference in the Middle East with church planters from all over the world. And uh, as we gathered there, the theme of that conference was harvest, and the key passage was Matthew nine thirty-five and following. We, we were there to listen to the testimonies and the stories of men who are, and women who are planting and leading churches all over the world. Uh, and we were stirred by that. And then there was this realization that we are fast approaching our 20th anniversary as a church. And, you know, 20 is kind of a big number. And, and I think often, I don't know about you, but in life, you know, when we, when we hit those decade marks like 30 and 40 and 50 and beyond, or in marriage when you hit those same numbers, 10, 15, 20, 
those big numbers have a way of kind of instigating a season of reflection where we just kind of look back and say, where, where has our journey been? Where has the Lord been taking us? Where are we now? And what is our future? What is our future? And so as I began to reflect a great deal on our journey over these 20 years and began to look into the future for Christ's community, this is the word that the Lord continued to stir in my soul. I remembered vividly those early days when we met. And all we were doing was praying, Lord, show us what you want. I mean, we were in a town that had 450 churches already. Uh, and we knew that. And so our, our prayer was, Lord, why are you raising up a new church? Is there really a need for another church in Columbus, Georgia, in the Chattahoochee Valley? And we sensed very strongly that the Lord was saying, yes, I'm trying to raise up a new church for a new purpose. We began to pray about what that would be. And we determined very, very quickly that this would not be a church that was driven by ambition or visions of, of bigness. It has never been our desire to be a big church. We've never, uh, we've never poured energy into trying to grow this church through artificial means. Our desire from the very beginning, from day one, was that we would be a certain kind of people who live together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lord began to give us some definition about that. And it's found today in our mission statement. And our mission measures are these, that we would be passionate lovers of Jesus Christ, that we would be passionate lovers of God, that we would not just come here week after week and go through the motions of doing church on Sunday, but that we would come here because we love him and that what we do here would be an expression of our love and passion for Jesus Christ as Lord. Secondly, we said we want to be ever-maturing followers of Jesus. We want to be those who are always going deeper, who are never satisfied to remain in the shallows where it's safe and comfortable, but who are constantly being called deeper and deeper into the river, into the water that is the life of God, surrendering deeper and deeper to his lordship in every part of our lives. We have said that we want to learn how to be deeply devoted brothers and sisters, that it's a tragedy when people come together in a place called a church and they sit with people that they don't even know and have no connection with during the week. The church biblically is the body of Christ. It is the people of God doing life together. Now, that doesn't mean that each of us can know everyone else in this room, but it does mean that each of us is connecting in significant and profound ways where we are learning how to love each other, learning how to do life together. That's not easy to do in this country where our whole nation is built on the idea of independence. I mean, we are built on the idea of independence. And quite frankly, when you look at the rest of the world, we struggle to know how to do community how to really love each other in practical ways. But we said, we, we're not going to let the culture define us. We want to let God's word define us and, and shape us in ways so that we begin to learn how to love one another as brothers and sisters. And I might just add specifically, love all God's people as brothers and sisters. That we would be a church that looks like the kingdom. 
not a church that looks like a subset of the world, but that looks like the kingdom, which means people of all ages, all races, all genders, that we would be a diverse people where Jesus Christ is Lord. That we would be a people who recognize that we have been tremendously blessed by God with resources, financially, gifts-wise, time, energy, effort, and that we would recognize that everything God has given us, we want to be good stewards of, and we want to give back the very best of that to him for the sake of his kingdom. And then lastly, that we would be a people who recognize that we live in a mission field. The mission field is not somewhere else in the world. The mission field is right outside these doors. And each one of us is called to be a missionary in it. This is the vision that shaped our church from the very, very beginning. And and i got to be honest with you, it's very transparent here to say that as I've been reflecting on 20 years, um, I'm grateful for all the signs of where we see the reality of those things. And there are many. Uh, There are many. I, I see lives that have been transformed. I see people every Sunday. I see you worshiping God with your whole being. I see people learning to love one another. I I see us living these things out in many ways very well, and I'm encouraged by that, and I'm grateful for all the ways that we have seen God's faithfulness in our midst. But as I've reflected on it, the one place that I would say I feel the most, I think I'll have to, I think I'll use the word regret. The one place that I, I really wish we had been better is in terms of reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. We are like many churches in America. Um, we're not so unlike, I'll say it that way. We're not unlike most churches in America. Where, quite frankly, the, the majority of our growth has come from people who already know Jesus. They come into our church looking for community, looking for a place where they can worship. But they already know Jesus. We have not been particularly effective in reaching people who are not yet saved, who don't yet know him. And I think that's why, one of the reasons that this word harvest began to stir in me. I sense that the Lord was saying, I want to take Christ's community deeper in terms of having a passion and a commitment to reach the lost, to reach the lost. Uh, I want to be, again, uh, I'm trying to be as transparent as I can be here and tell you that I I am very convinced that one of the reasons that we have struggled in this is because of my own struggles. Uh, For better or worse, the... uh, uh, the character and the, 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 the person of a lead pastor does affect the whole. And uh, I, evangelism is not one of my top gifts. I've got other gifts, but evangelism is not one of my top gifts. We have other people on our team that, that do have that gift, but it's not one of mine. Uh, and quite frankly, there are other things. And I'll probably get into some of this in the months to come because I suspect that some of you may share some of my struggles. One of them is a... I grew up in a culture, quite frankly, where uh, it was never really said, but the implication was uh, there are boundaries when it comes to talking about certain things. We can talk about sports all day long. We can talk about politics. Well, some people can talk about politics. Uh, Actually, we can't do that anymore, right? Uh, Politics is one of those places that we just kind of have to avoid. And for many people, religion is kind of a off, it's a hot potato topic. 
And, and there's a sense in which there's almost a sense of, I, 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 until you ask me to share with you, I, I don't have the right to engage in your life and bring something. And so we end up being very passive, uh, waiting for people to come to us instead of going to them. Uh, I mean, I've prayed with a number of people, many people over the years to receive salvation. But the vast majority of them have come at these altars, at the end of our service, or in my office after a counseling session, They've come when people come to me and pursue me or respond to something that I've done. My ability to go in, in and quite frankly, another issue is as pastors, it's very easy to, to just get isolated from the world because your whole world is consumed by church stuff and church people. And increasingly, I have felt myself more and more isolated where it's just kind of hard to get out of the cocoon uh, of this community. But I have sensed God stirring in me a desire and a conviction that this has to change for me. And I want to lead us in it. Um, I, let me share with you why. When we go to Matthew nine thirty-five, let me just read that whole passage. Uh, let's go, uh, go on to the next verse, our next slide. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then if you go on into chapter 10, he called his 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal disease and sickness. Then these 12 Jesus sent out with instructions. Now I want to come back and just kind of look at this in a very broad way this morning. We're going to dig into the details more in the coming weeks, but let me just kind of start with the big picture. What this passage tells us is that when it comes to reaching the lost, it actually begins not with our efforts, but with the glory of God. With the glory of God. Why do I say that? Because as Jesus looked out and he saw the need, the first thing he did was turn his eyes to the Lord. And he said, Father, send Lord of the harvest... Send workers into the harvest field. Jesus began with the understanding that God is the Lord of the harvest. Now, why is it important that we start with the glory of God? Because if our efforts lead us to go out with the idea that we can help people get better, that we can help people improve their lives, that we have what they need, then we will have failed from the start. Because God himself is our greatest need. God himself is the answer to every need of every heart. And so we begin with this understanding that we know him, we worship him, and that he fills us with his spirit. And out of that place of surrender to his spirit in our lives, then we go and what we're taking is not us, but we're taking him. And we're trying to draw people into a place where they can come to know for themselves, what we've already learned for ourselves about God's love for us. 
So it begins with the glory of God. By the way, these points that I'm sharing with you right now, these will guide us in prayer week this week. Tonight is going to be about the glory of God. We're going to have a great time worshiping him. We're going to come around this idea of the glory of God and try to understand the connection between the glory of God and our mission to reach the lost, because there is one. You look at Isaiah 6, and we'll look at this more carefully tonight and in the days to come. But in Isaiah 6, the prophet comes into the presence of the Lord. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The first thing that happened was he fell on his face and cried out for help. But the last thing that happened is he says, oh, the Lord says, uh, whom shall I send? And he said, send me. Because as he came to a deep understanding of his own need in the light of God's glory, he recognized that he lived in a world that had desperate needs. And he immediately said, Lord, use me. Take me and send me out. Starts with the glory of God. Secondly, it builds on a proper view of the world. A proper view of the world. Um, I think it's safe to say that if you were to look at the, the two ends of the spectrum when it comes to the way we view the world, there are two poles. One of those is to view the world as evil and something to be avoided at all cost. So the world is evil and we as Christians should have nothing to do with it. And so we isolate ourselves as much as possible from the world. The other end of the spectrum is to love the world. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the things of the world, the stuff of the world. To love this world and because of our love for this world... We end up compromising with this world and the people in it in order to be accepted, in order to be embraced, and we become more and more like this world. I want to say for us as God's people, we we can't go to either one of those spectrums. Can I just share with you very briefly what Jesus saw when he saw the world? What he saw in the world was not something to be despised, or something that was to, to be loved as the source of life, but something that was tragically broken. Something that was broken. What he saw were people who were lost, sheep without a shepherd, harassed, and helpless. He saw them in their true state. And his desire was to go into those places of lostness with the, the, the promise of redemption. And with the message of redemption. And so the way we must see the world is to see that it's broken, that it's lost. But to enter into it with a desire to be agents of God's redemptive power in touching the hearts of people. And then thirdly, it has to be fueled by love. When Jesus saw these people who were lost and helpless and harassed, his response was compassion. The word literally means that his insides were turned inside out. His, his intestines were turned inside out. He, he, he was in anguish because of the lostness of the people he observed. But I want to say that compassion is one thing. Love is another. Love is compassion in action. It's compassion in action. And love must fuel everything we do. Love can, I mean, reaching people can never be about getting another notch in my belt. It can never be about growing a church. It can never be an enterprise in which we are building something on people. 
It's always got to be driven by this deep sense of God's love for people and God's ability to give us his love for people. I mean, I just want to say to you, if you say there's some people I have a hard time loving, uh, just join the rest of the human race. We all do. But here's the thing. God says, come to me, and I will give you my heart for you first. And when you know how much I love you and how I love your brothers and sisters around you just as much, it's going to change the way you see people. It's going to, be the change, it's going to change the way you approach people. You will love people, and that will fuel everything you do. And then lastly is this call to go, to go. Um, Jesus prayed that God would send workers into the harvest field. I did a little study on that, that Greek word. Um, and, and here's the thing about that Greek word. It, it, it literally means to thrust or throw something out. What Jesus was actually praying is, Lord, throw people into the harvest field. Thrust them into the harvest field. And then, as he prayed that prayer, he looked around him, and there were 12 disciples there. And you know what he did immediately? He didn't say to them, I'm asking you to pray that God would send somebody else. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't even come to them and say, pretty please, would you go out and, and reach some people? Jesus sent them out. This prayer is not, Lord, raise up somebody else to go. Jesus was saying, you, got, you 12 are going. I'm sending you out to go. What we're praying for is that others will come alongside you, that others will stand with you and help reach a lost and broken world with the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. And so I want us, this is one of the things I was particularly convicted by in the Middle East when I was meeting with these church planters from all the world. They actually asked this question, and I recognize that in the asking of it, it might offend some of us as American Christians, but let, let's, let's not be easily offended, okay? Here was the question. If we are not following Jesus' example, and we're not following his commands to go into the world, to reach others through Jesus Christ, then how can we call ourselves Christians? How can we call ourselves followers of Jesus? To be a follower of Jesus is to do what Jesus was doing. It's, it's to, it's, it, yes, it is to know him first. It is to know him and to make him known. That is the essence of Christianity. It's not about a, a doctrinal system of belief primarily. It's certainly not about belonging to an, an institutional organization. To be a follower of Jesus is to know him and make him known. And what I want to say to you is that in, in, in becoming genuine followers of Jesus Christ, that does not mean that he is going to call you to leave this country and go somewhere else. I love the, the, the language of the Great Commission where it says go into all the world. The way that should be read and understood is in your going. In your going. You don't have to go somewhere special. You don't have to go somewhere different. In your going, make disciples. One of the things that we'll talk about in the coming weeks is that it starts at home. And I want to say to all of us who are parents that it begins in our house and not just parents, 
to brothers and sisters, to children, to aunts and uncles and cousins. Uh, reaching our family may be the, one of the hardest mission fields of all. There's all kinds of emotional things tied up in that. But we want to help you. We want to help me. Can I just, like, let me just say it again. One of the reasons I'm doing this is because I want to get better. I'm saying, Lord, help me to get better in doing this. And I'm just inviting you to come along on the journey. Can the Lord help us to really get a passion for family members in a new way? Uh, Friends, people that you've known uh, over the course of your life, people that you relate to on a regular basis that you would call friends. Some of your friends don't know Jesus yet. And you have an opportunity to be one who can introduce him to them. To people that you work with, our colleagues, people that you hang out with in, in civic things. And then lastly, we're going to get our hearts around this idea that, that there are ways that we can have significant impact even on strangers. Simply by the way we live our lives day in and day out as we bump into people we don't even know over the course of our weeks. Here's what I want to invite you to do today. I want to invite you uh, to join with me in saying, Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. Help us to see what you see. Help us to hear your call and give us everything we need to go. Uh, Can I just start by asking you to bow your heads for a moment? Just bow your heads with me and I want to say, I mean, it would be a tragedy today to talk about harvest and not to recognize the possibility that there may be people right here in our midst who don't yet know Jesus. This, for somebody, may be the first time you set foot in a church ever. Or there may be some of you who are here and you've been in church for a long time, but you know, you know deep in your heart you're not truly following Jesus. If there's anyone here this morning that would say, that's me, I want to I just pray with you for a moment. And I want to invite you to pray after me. I want to lead you in a prayer. If this reflects the state of your heart, and you truly want to come into a place of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to ask you to just lift your head. While everybody else keeps your head down, you pray. But I want to ask you to lift your head. Look at me. Just give me your eyes. And I want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you for every person in this place who has lifted his or her head with an understanding that he or she wants to know you. And I want to ask you just to pray with me right now. Father, I know I'm lost, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm coming to the realization that I can't fix myself. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. And I'm confessing my sin to you right now. I'm asking you to forgive me of your sin. I thank you that you gave your life to pay for my sin. And now I'm choosing to put my trust in you as Lord and Savior. I accept what you've done on my behalf.
and I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins and make me yours. And now, Father, I thank you that everyone who just prayed that prayer, that you have heard it and that it is your desire to save, to draw people into relationship with you. And I pray that you'll do that right now for everyone who just prayed that prayer. I want to just tell you on the authority of God's word, your sins are forgiven. You have been cleansed and made whole. He is yours and you are his. And now I want to invite anyone in this room who would be willing to do so to stand as a sign of your willingness to say, Lord, I open my heart, I open my life to hear this call, to let you give me your heart for harvest. Uh, I'm not, I, I, this is not, I want, this needs to be sincere. If you are ready to say, yes, Lord, I, I want to move into a new place in terms of understanding and giving myself to the harvest, would you just stand with me right now? Right where you are, just stand with me. And now, Father, we give ourselves to you. We confess, Lord, that in many ways we have been consumed with other things, maybe good things, maybe not, but other things that have robbed us of knowing your love, of living in your love, and being agents of your love in the lives of others. Many of us are standing right now with specific people in our minds and our hearts. And Lord, we bring these people to you. We thank you for your love for them. We thank you for your desire to redeem them, to restore them. And Lord, we're just asking that you would give us the grace and the wisdom and everything we need to be empowered witnesses to those who don't yet know you. Well, we confess we're not even sure how to do that. We confess that we have fears and we have obstacles, but Lord, we're saying today, we want you to come and show us the way. We want you to come and give us what we don't yet have in order to be the people you've called us to be. And Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word that you will give us everything we need for your own glory. For your own glory. In Jesus' name. Now, Dwayne is going to just remain standing and everyone join us, if you will. We're going to close in the singing of a song called God of the City. And this is our prayer today that uh, he would be the God of the city. I'm going to ask if there's anyone who has a need today of any kind. Uh, if you've come today with a need for healing or uh, just you've got a relationship that needs to be restored or there's any need that you've brought today and you want someone to pray with you, there are people that will be standing here at the altars ready to pray. Just come. Invite them to stand with you in prayer. Or if you just need to kneel and pray with the Lord alone, that's okay. 
But these altars are open if you'd like to come and respond as we close in this song together. Dwayne, lead us. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. send us out with this reminder. Jesus called himself the light of the world, but then there's a point where he says, you are the light of the world. Not because of who we are, but of whose we are. Because his spirit lives in you. His light is in you. As we leave these doors and go into our mission field, which are right outside these doors. May you be filled with his presence. May you be filled with his glory. And may you bring light into your world. God bless you as you go.